This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Iron. The Arizona Cardinals select Tyler Murray. And the 2019 Offense Rookie of the Year is... This year's most valuable player, Lamar Jackson. All right, guys, welcome back to the Established the Past podcast, presented by Clutch Points and our friends at Blue Wire. I'm your host, Blake Bubble. With me is my co-host, Dylan Reagan, and we're back here to discuss uh, the action from the divisional round of the 2021 NFL playoffs. And uh, Dylan, unfortunately for you, one of your teams is out, uh, the other still remaining. Uh, so the adopted team of the podcast uh, still marches on here. Uh, but uh, certainly some interesting action from the weekend. Uh, I think probably, uh, even though we laugh about the bias on Saturday, I think Sunday's games were certainly a lot more, mm-hmm. I think, intriguing in terms of not just maybe, you know, some of the just the way the games played out. I think that's probably the best way to put it. But uh, certainly some, some fun action for sure. Yeah, I was hoping for some more dramatic finishes, and for a while going into the you know halftime of Browns Chiefs, it looks like it looked like we're going to have three consecutive games to start the weekend that didn't really have crazy finishes. Of course, that ended up having easily the craziest uh, finish. Uh, Bucks Saints, not quite as much by the end of it, but it was you know so close. You know, twenty twenty game going to the fourth quarter. Couldn't really ask for much more from that one. And I guess even as we get into these, yeah, even the you know the Bills end up winning by a couple touchdowns. That game a lot closer uh, really than that final uh, tally there in terms of what was happening on the field. But uh, yeah, I, I feel like at the end of the day we ended up with probably at this time the four teams playing the best football leading up to next weekend. So yeah, going to be a lot of fun with two matchups. The, obviously the the old guys and the and the new guys and one uh, depending on the conference there. Yep, uh, should be two really good games and we'll talk about those in our second episode uh, later in the week. But for now, let's go through all four matchups uh, and we'll also get into some uh, coaching carousel news a little bit later in the podcast as well. But uh, let's start with the Packers and the Rams. Packers 32, Rams 18. Um, this was one where the Packers just kind of you know, put themselves in a position here where we, we talked about it going in. I said, man, I don't know something about this game. And then, you know, we got to the point where it started to get a little bit closer. And you're thinking, okay, well, something's <laughs> going to happen here. I'm like, all right, 25-18, going into the fourth, could be a game. Uh, but uh, once again, it's just the Packers offense seemingly just always finds a way uh, to break things open. And that's what happened with that Alan Lazard 58-yard touchdown uh, with about midway through the fourth quarter. And the Packers win it here by two touchdowns. Um, just another 
another performance where, you know, Devontae Adams is someone who we always talk about and, um, you know, mm-hmm. he had a he had a good game, and that's the thing. It's like he had nine receptions for 66 yards and a touchdown, but you know, the one big play from Alan Lazard really uh, changes things. But then, you know, you had four different guys with at least uh, four receptions. And so uh, I just think this, this Packers offense, what Aaron Jones did on the ground, uh, it was just, you know, mm-hmm. we talked about the number one offense versus number one defense, and uh, it was the offense that, that won out here. Yeah, I couldn't be more impressed with the Packer offensive line without Bakhtiari, obviously. They, they, those guys didn't seem to miss a beat at all, and they were dominating up front against a really strong Rams defense. Obviously, Aaron Donald's health uh, <laughs> played a decent factor. I know Sean McVay at halftime said he wasn't on a snap count, and after the game he said Aaron could sub himself in, but he only played 56% of the snaps. He, The lowest he'd played in any game all year was 85% in one of their blowouts. Usually it's around 90 to 95%. So I mean that makes a difference, but I, that doesn't change what they're able to do against the the pack or the Rams secondary. Not just Devontae Adams, obviously uh, the creative uh, play to, with him in motion to get him off Jalen and that on that one touchdown, but just also just everyone on the team kind of really stepped up. The Rams secondary, you have the dropped interception in the end zone, and just overall probably the sloppiest we've seen them play since early in the year when they lost at Buffalo in that first half. Uh, but, I mean, really for the Packers' offense, yeah, I'm impressed, obviously, with what they're able to do. But they just dominated on the ground, and that wasn't something I necessarily anticipated. The Rams, we've talked about how they've been able to have lighter boxes and still defend the run really well. Green Bay definitely exploited that quite easily. Obviously, the one Aaron Jones run bumps up his average and a lot of the other averages. But Jamal Williams, A.J. Dillon, those guys were playing really well. The Rams, like you said, they <laughs> the fact that it was even a touchdown game there at the end, it's a credit to what they're able to do on offense. I, they did have a number of three and outs. You can't have those and expect uh, to, to play, uh, you know, perform very well against when Aaron Rodgers is playing like this. But they, to the credit, Goff on the, on the drives they did score on did look pretty good. Cam Akers still had another solid week. It just wasn't consistent enough for them. Uh, too little, too late, especially when Aaron's playing like this. I, I just don't, even if the Rams, even if Aaron Donald's fully healthy, uh, I, you know, with the way the Packers were playing in this game, I don't know if they really had a chance. Obviously, they the, the one really in the touchdown, I think that that won the game for the Packers or that uh, made it a final at least. The Alan Lazard play action. I just summed up the one big thing about this Rams defense. They uh, about how they have to really rely on DBs and safeties to crash in the box to to help when they have these lighter boxes and when a team's running as well as Green Bay is. And it's the same thing we've seen with San Francisco in the past when they've had a lot of success against the Rams. As uh, <laughs> if you, it, it's it really was a, a case of establishing the run to set up that play action, at least that one. You could see literally the safeties all biting on the play fake, and sure enough, Lazard's wide open. So Green Bay, man, I mean, Rodgers is playing this well with an offense that is catered to him with this run game. I know their defense, not perfect. They The, the drive at the end of the first half, they're playing a lot of – uh, no, no press coverage, just playing off guys, and the Rams are able to move the ball easily. We'll see how that, you know, we'll get into that when they face Tampa Bay because uh, I do think Tampa will have some success against that defense. But if Green Bay's offense keeps playing like this, uh, man, they're going to be really, really tough to stop. Yep, we'll have some more thoughts on the uh, Rams defense later on, which uh, certainly uh, an interesting note there on that. But uh, the Packers are the ones uh, advancing here, and uh, they will move on to play the winner of the other game, which we'll get to here in a second. Uh, the Bills, 17, the Ravens, 3. Uh, this was certainly a case of, uh, we said going in, we didn't really know offensively what we could see on display here, and it seems like, you know, the Ravens-Titans game and now the Ravens-Bills game, 
Uh, we were thinking, man, lots of points, uh, maybe potentially take the over, all of this, and it turns out that was uh, not the case here. As uh, the Bills, <laughs> 20, if you had the over-under, of, if you took the – uh, the over at 19, then you were a winner here, but that was about it. Um, so this game, of course, uh, changed a little bit when Lamar Jackson went out. Uh, and, you know, it was just still at that point, you know, the, the mm-hmm. Bills, they scored those two touchdowns in the third quarter. That proves to be the difference. Um, but this was another one of those games where it's just like, I don't know, man. It, like you said earlier, it was uh, one of those games that was right there and then, all of a sudden, uh, it just kind of switched a little bit, and the Bills get those uh, two scores. And, uh, of course, the uh, the uh, interception return uh, for 101 yards, uh, that's that's a big one too. So uh, just yeah. big plays. I mean, that's what we talk about in the playoffs. So one play can swing things. Uh, Lamar Jackson going out certainly changed some of this game, but uh, that, mm-hmm. uh, that interception certainly uh, did as well. Yeah, I mean, that's it's a 14-point play, and that's the, the difference in the game, right? You have seven points going for Baltimore there if they get in the end zone. Instead, it's seven going the other way. So, I mean, that really was the difference. The Bills, only, if, if you looked at the you know the Bills' offensive stats, oh, just over 200 yards, and you told the Ravens that's what you're going to do, they'd feel like they're going to easily win this game. Uh, their defense played amazingly. Obviously, the win for both quarterbacks, they kept talking about it, but it really did seem to to have an impact, obviously, on the kicking game <laughs> with Justin Tucker, uh, with doinks on either side of the goalpost, not something uh, that you see often. That was one of the, my favorite stats uh, that I saw tweeted out about how he's had two seasons in his career where he's only missed one field goal. <laughs> he had yeah. two misses in the first half of this game. And that really, I mean, even if he makes those, it's, it, you're feeling like maybe Lamar doesn't feel like he, have to, he has to force that, that pass in there at the end uh, or, or on the pick six. And obviously just the lack of passing game for the Ravens in general, I don't know if they need someone that can just get open, like a true number one uh, receiver. That's been something mentioned as one of their weaknesses. Uh, you know, they have obviously Hollywood Browns able to stretch the field, but their passing game, as you know, as great as they are running the ball, and it still can be their primary focus and it should be, but they need to get a little bit more going throwing the football to diversify themselves on that side uh, for the bills. I mean, opportunistic on defense props to them, you know, for portions of the game were getting run over, especially that first drive of the game, Baltimore went right down the field running the rock, but they responded really well. And, you know, to, to their credit, they bended a few times, didn't break obviously the pick six, but then also the, when Huntley, yeah, well, Huntley looked pretty solid in his, and his limited uh, snaps there at the end of the game, uh, but it still wasn't able, able to punch it in on Buffalo. So, I mean, Buffalo finding different ways to win. Obviously, they. I wish they had a running game. <laughs> they clearly don't believe they do, considering they didn't run the ball on on an actual running play until either late in the second quarter or or at the start of the second half. So that was kind of crazy to see. But you know, hopefully, with different uh, circumstances, with different weather, uh, Josh Allen can get back to his explosive self. Uh, the one touchdown drive they did look really strong, uh, but. Just kind of a, a weird game. The final score, again, I, I know I made this my betting lock because I had the Bills, and I felt like if they're going to win, they're going to win by three. But, man, I didn't feel great about it for a while. It, it definitely is a game that that final score is not indicative of what we saw on the field. These are pretty pretty evenly matched teams. Yeah, well, you talk about the Bills and uh, the running game and uh, wishing they had one of those. That is something that statistically the Chiefs haven't been great against this season. But, yeah. um, however, the Chiefs are advancing, and uh, we'll see. Uh, again, that's that's something that's been a weakness for the Chiefs, but uh, may not have to worry about it too much in that game against the Bills because the Chiefs mm-hmm. are marching on a 22-17 win against the Browns. Uh, as you alluded to earlier, 
this game got very interesting uh, late with yes. uh, Patrick Mahomes going out. Uh, concussion protocol. Um, he takes the hit, and you know I think a lot of people have talked about, and you know I think there are reports out today where whether it's head, neck, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I don't. They were not going to take that chance, even with the magnitude of uh, what was going on there, and this being a playoff game. Um, so he leaves. Uh, Chad Henney comes in, throws what I thought was one of the worst interceptions, one of the worst plays. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are they doing even throwing the ball like on that to me? But you know what? Uh-huh. That question would be answered on the clinching play uh, because that's just what Andy Reid does, man. He doesn't care. He doesn't care who's in there. Um, he's going to do what he needs to do. And, of course, they – on that final play, I'm sitting there just watching this game going, what are they doing? Like, as soon as I saw him drop back, I'm thinking, oh, my God, what <laughs> on earth are they doing right now? Uh, but then, you know, rolls out to the right, makes the pass. Tyreek catches it. That's your game. Um, man, this was uh, this was a fun game. And I think, you know, going in, I know it was 19-3 to kind of going into the, the second half, but – you got to give the Chiefs defense credit because, you know, they did what they had to do against this Browns offense there. But uh, yeah. the Browns also tried to rally. And, you know, uh, for the most part, like, this was – this is one of those games, I know it's crazy to think about, but, like, you know, we, we could see this again, like, for the next five years or something. Yeah. Like, you could see this in the playoffs just because we know the trajectory that the Chiefs are on, but we also know that this Browns team – um, they're, they're built like a team that could, that is supposed to be at this point, and certainly they had their opportunities uh, to have a chance to win this game. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. this this was a lot of fun, and now it's you know now now we're just in wait and see mode to see uh, whether Mahomes will play uh, against the Bills. Yeah, obviously that would be a huge huge downer if he's unable to go. Obviously the you know how much Kansas City relies on him and how important he is to that offense. You can just feel, as you're kind of talking about, the energy from the crowd when he went out of the game and Henny has to go in. I, But, you know, I, I guess I think what probably did help Andy Reid have that level of trust in, uh, in Chad, Chad Henny, obviously he throws that one interception, but I just think about those two games last year uh, after Mahomes had the scary injury against the Broncos where it looked like he might be out for the year. Luckily only missed two games, but Henny went right in, and they, they beat the Vikings in an upset at home. They almost – when the Packers were rolling last season. So, I mean, they looked good on offense with Henny last year in those two games. Kind of a, you know, at least for me, I, you know, obviously if I was a Chiefs fan, I'd be super nervous. But I felt like they're still going to be able to move the ball because obviously this Browns team, I do, as you mentioned, I think they are like right there. They just need to kind of shore up the middle of their defense, especially a linebacker got exploited at times in this game. I feel like if Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was healthy, that changes this game in a big way in terms of what the Chiefs could have done with their attack, especially in the red zone. We don't see Kansas City struggle as much as they did in this game. They missed the extra point, missed that one field goal. Uh, obviously made a lot of field goals, but the Browns give them credit for holding Kansas City and holding them down to only 22 points, even with Mahomes going out, not something we see often. So they had that opportunity. Obviously the the controversial uh, fumble uh, out of the end zone by Higgins (laughs) plays a huge role in the outcome. But uh, beyond that, I mean, the Browns still at times, I felt like early in the game, maybe they got away from the run a bit much, only 19 carries between Chubb and Hunt. I just felt like they had more to offer there. and uh, But then when they did try to run the rock a bit more in the second half, they were almost helping the Chiefs run the clock out. They they get the ball back after that ter- terrible pick with 
eight minutes left and they only go like 12 yards and take four minutes off the clock. That was one of the, that, and they, and they burned a timeout at the end of one of those, uh, uh, you know, after yeah, the fourth the, and the yeah. fourth, fourth down sneak. And it's just, those kind of things are things that hopefully they learn from. And I'm, you know, Stefanski so brilliant, but I just, I remember I was texting my dad. I'm like, how did they just burn four minutes off that clock? Like they, like you don't, you're not as worried about the chiefs right now. Uh, running up and down the field as much as Henny can still run a competent offense. There's no need for you to be worried about that that boogeyman, Patrick Mahomes, coming back in the game to get the ball back and come down and give them the lead after. Go, Just go for it. And they didn't, and their defense couldn't get that last stop. I mean, but overall, still, like you're saying, I mean, the big thing is we're in January and we're talking about the Browns. That is not <laughs> something that's happened yeah. in our lifetimes. Uh, so, uh, you know, props to them. They'll be back, and I think they just have some, a few things to shore up on that on that side of the ball on defense, especially offensive line-wise. The injury to Wirfs doesn't help, or not. Uh, sorry to Wirfs, the Jedrick Wills in the first uh, quarter there. But nonetheless, impressed with the Browns. Chiefs, they got to play better than this on offense and uh, finish drives against the the Bills. But uh, interesting game because both teams at this, uh, you know, in both these games, the Bills and Chiefs, considerably, you know, for large stretches of the season, definitely the best two teams in the AFC in my mind. They're not exactly rolling the same way the Packers and Bucks are. <laughs> so no. It's going to be an interesting to see. And every week's a different week, though, in the playoffs. Uh, so I, I'm still really excited for it, obviously, but really hope that obviously Mahomes is in there uh, as much as Henny is uh, probably, you know, in an Andy Reid offense, still a pretty good quarterback. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not the uh, one of the top three quarterbacks in the NFL. No, something else about this game, too, is, like, it doesn't hurt to have stars. And when you have stars, like, because look at Tyreek yeah. Hill and Travis Kelsey. Yeah. Like, Travis Kelsey goes for eight receptions, 109 yards, a touchdown, 11 targets. Tyreek Hill, eight receptions, 110 yards, um, no touchdowns, but he had 10 targets. Like, these guys just, I think when you have two guys like that, it just makes it so much different. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. So, it's um, so certainly, good. yeah, when, when you have guys like that, it, it makes things a lot easier in games like this, especially in close games. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, Chiefs marching on, and now we await to see what's uh, going to happen there with uh, Patrick Mahomes. So, um, all right, that led us to the uh, final game of the weekend, which was the Bucks getting a 30-20 to win against the Saints. Um, it's funny because we talked about going to the season. Everybody made their predictions about the Bucks. Everyone was talking about, okay, we know the offense is going to be really good. Look at all these weapons on offense. But mm-hmm. it's, can the defense continue to take a step forward? Well, this was the game that kind of uh, solidified, I think, that example of how far the defense yeah. has come because uh, three interceptions here, and they all lead to significant offense for the Bucks, and that winds up being the difference here because uh, the Bucks defense was great. And, um, man, this was just something where, you know, even the the offense itself, like the Bucks weren't that great on offense, but they didn't have to be because mm-hmm. a lot of the times, you know, on some of those they had short field um, and didn't have to go very far. But, you know, just one of those, the uh, man, for this Saints offense to be in this position again to where, you know, I mean, we've talked about this before with the Saints. Like this is not something new uh, with this nucleus that they've had for however many years now. It's just yeah. – when they get to this point sometimes, man, it's just I don't know what it is, but, um, you know, 12-4 regular season, feeling like they're in a really good spot here. They've beaten this team twice, uh, and now, you know, they lose by double digits in this divisional round. And uh, certainly frustrating. Uh, we know all the talk about Drew Brees uh, likely playing his last game. You hate yeah. to see, you know, <clears throat> go out on a game like that because uh, undoubtedly it was not one of his best games. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, man, I just like I told you going into this game, 
when Tom Brady is on the field in a playoff game, I am mm-hmm. going to have a really hard time taking against him <laughs> because I don't know what it is, but this guy, his team, whatever, they will find a way to do something uh, spectacular at some point. And uh, here they are uh, moving right along to the NFC title game. Yeah, he did not play fantastic in the first half, though he could have had that touchdown to Chris Godwin very close at the end of the half. But overall, it wasn't his strongest performance. But then in the fourth quarter and in the th- even parts of the third quarter, you see vintage Tom Brady just third down conversion after third down conversion, throws on the money, finding guys. I mean, great catches. Obviously, Tyler Johnson, We I feel like we haven't said his name since the draft, made an insane uh, third down catch on a really great back throw, a back shoulder throw by Tom. And just a lot of great plays in, uh, down the stretch, as you're mentioning from him. But, yeah, the story is definitely those turnovers. I mean, that's these game, these teams were pretty even on the stat sheet, minus those four turnovers by the Saints. The first three, all of them converted into touchdowns. All three touchdowns by the Bucks came after St. turnovers, and then the last turnover is the one that they run the last four and a half minutes off the clock on. So, I mean, that's basically the difference in this game. Uh, and, you know, I, you're talking about the Saints and just this, this stretch of disappointment. It's it's obviously one missed P.I. call likely against the Rams from just running that clock down and winning that NFC title game. But it is still crazy to think that in these four years how good this team has been, and they're not even going to have one Super Bowl uh, appearance to show for it. They, I mean, if if I'm a Saints fan, i just uh, sad because obviously – I think really mostly the last two years, but even down the stretch of the 2018 season and in that playoff game against the Rams, you did see Breeze's arm kind of losing the same power it used to have. They just an inability to make plays down the field. They're not, not throwing passes over 20 yards. And it, did, it kind of happened late in the uh, 2018 season. It was a shoulder injury he suffered against the Cowboys, if I'm right, on a Thursday night game that – from that moment on, it just hasn't looked the same. And if I'm a Saints fan, I just think about how they it took so long to construct this amazing team around Breeze until he was at this point when he had so many years where he's putting up insane passing numbers and they had one of the worst defenses in the NFL. It's just really got to be frustrating for Saints fans that it just could not time uh, this window here perfectly. So, I, I mean, they're still, they still have such a great team built. Uh, rounds whoever's at quarterback but it's obviously that's going to be a huge conversation for us if Jameis is going to be the guy moving forward obviously they run the trick play a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL could have hit that pass with how open Traquan Smith was but overall uh, Bucks defense still I, I think they're going to post you know maybe they're they're only just one spot behind the Rams in DVOA and they're uh, you know so I don't they're very different defenses than the Rams stylistic wise so it's going to be really interesting to see what they do against uh, against the Packers. Obviously, they played really well against them the first time they faced. It's going to be different this time. But obviously, I, they all stepped up. The turning point for me has to – I mean, there's four, the four turnovers are the difference in the game. But the turning point is the Jared Cook fumbled. At that point, Saints up by seven. Going down the field, they're around midfield at that point, at least possibly going to go take a 10-point lead. Instead, the Bucks go right down and tie the game. That's got to be the one moment that if I'm a Saints fan as well in this one game in particular where I just – it's just so frustrating. You have to protect the ball. It's so important all the time. But in the playoffs, it could be the difference between winning and losing. And you give Tom Brady any opening, and it's going to be a problem. Well, uh, speaking of, uh, as always, breaking news, right? There's, there's, I mean, this is literally just all the time we record. Time. Uh, we just talking about the Bucks. It looks like uh, Vita Via could be back. Uh, apparently, Whoa. they're bringing him off injured reserve. So you talk about the defense, and I'm looking back now. <laughs> you know, I, did he, did he play in the first game that they? I want to say he got hurt before uh, that. The but first, yeah, yeah. Let me just look because he got hurt in quick, October. But... They played on October uh-huh. the 18th, I think. But I want to say he got hurt before that. 
Um, yeah, I'm going to check that out. Because, I mean, certainly, that that's pretty significant. So He I played in the first game of okay, uh, week one. Play. Yeah. Okay. That was the, the first opening loss of the year. But that was teams in full, a very different circumstance. And I'd argue in that game that it was more about the Bucks' in, uh, inability to move the ball yeah. themselves. Okay. So, all right. So he played then. So now he potentially comes back against the Packers who – Let's see, when did he – all right. He on. didn't face the Packers. His okay. injury was one week before that. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, okay, so he didn't even play in the first game, and, the, and the, we saw what happened. So, uh, man, that could that's a big boost, uh, no doubt, if he does. In fact, they're bringing him off injured reserve, according to reports here. Could be activated for uh, the game against the Packers. So, uh, yeah, could be another big boost for the Bucks. And, uh, man, we, we will see what happens in that. Uh, going to be a, a fun game and a fun matchup there. And we'll look at it a little bit later in the week. But speaking of the Bucks, uh, more news on the Bucks here because uh, we're time to get into the coaching carousel, which uh, we've got names all over the place. Um, here's what we know as of right now. Uh, since the last time I guess we recorded, there's been a lot of movement for sure. Uh, we know that Urban Meyer is the coach of the Jaguars. Uh, that was expected. Yes. No surprise there. We did talk about Arthur Smith as well, potentially going to the Falcons. That seemed to be the direction they were heading. And boom, that uh, winds up being the case for them. Uh, it sounds like, well, what we also know that the Jets are hiring Robert Sala, who, um, you know, I think last year we said was going to be one of the hot names. He seemed like he could have been the choice for the Browns. Uh, I think Browns turned out okay uh, going with Kevin Stefanski. But uh, the Jets, he is their new coach uh, after mm-hmm. you know being the person who's led the, the 49ers defense or the resurgence there. Uh, Brandon Staley, we talked about a little bit earlier with the Rams defense. Uh, he goes from Rams defensive coordinator, now the head coach of the Chargers. And uh, Dan Campbell, uh, the Saints are out, but uh, he is in in Detroit uh, as uh, their new coach there. So those are the five that we know. Um, before mm-hmm. we get into the two that are still unknown, Dylan, uh, any big thoughts uh, on any of those? I know the Rams connection there with Staley. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting, I think, choice for the Chargers. Uh, but also, I think of all of these, I mean, Urban Meyer is going to get the most attention just because he's going to have the number one pick in the draft. And uh, I think he's just, you know, he's the name that's out mm-hmm. there. Everybody knows. Uh, but, man, I, my, the Jets. You know, I like uh, knocking the Jets on this podcast, but <laughs> I've just got a feeling now that um, that that may be hard to do because I think uh, they may have, in fact, made the best hire uh, of the group here thus far because uh, we talked about Robert Sala, and I think he – I think he's going to wind up doing a pretty good job there. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I believe that Joe Douglas, they trusted him to make the, the hire, and I, I, yeah, I think they, they picked the right guy. You, a lot of fans in New York probably wanted them to go for an offensive mind, but Robert Sala isn't the kind of guy that's going to try to do something that he's not in control of. I was watching a video from one of these, uh, there was a coaching summit from, I believe, 2019, where he was talking about the importance of a, a whole coaching staff and knowing who you are. And he was saying, like, if there's 30 Robert Salas, we're not going to win many games. But the point is to have, like, my strengths, know my strengths, know what I can't do. And I, I believe in what he's going to be able to do, building the staff around him as well. So we talk about just these coaches, but I'm thinking for him about – what the Jets infrastructure they're going to try to build, what we've seen Salah been able to do as a leader. And I just think, yeah, you couldn't have made a better hire for that situation. I don't think it's going to be a problem for them to find offensive lines that can <laughs> to help on that on that side of the ball. 
obviously a lot of draft capital, obviously a team that has been mentioned. Uh, I, I don't know if it was Field Yates. Somebody tweeted out all the assets they could possibly trade for Deshaun Watson. So <laughs> keep that in the back of the mind. I don't know about that one. We'll see because Saul has talked about how he thinks they can still make it work with Sam. Uh, but, yeah, I think that one obviously stuck out to me, the Urban Meyer hire. The you know the obvious the name power none, nothing's going to beat that. I'm really curious to see how he translates at the next level. Also, his staff that he's building, I do think he understands the value of it's not it's not going to be like Ohio State or Florida where you have to be perfect. I don't think the losses hope and he was asked about asked about this in his press conference. I don't think the losses are going to have the same toll on him. Obviously, he's not going to like losing, and it's going to probably still happen early in his tenure there, no matter how perfectly they nailed the draft around Trevor Lawrence, no matter how many free agents they sign, still don't know if they're going to be a playoff team next year, but uh, it should be really exciting and ex- fun to follow. And then, yeah, Staley, uh, disappointed from a Rams perspective, obviously, given what he was able to do with this defense. I do think they have some assistance under him that they can promote um, that will do a good job uh, kind of holding the fort down. But for the Chargers' sake, I think this makes a lot of sense. I did like Brian Dable possibly working with uh, uh, with Herbert there, and obviously the comparisons, the the skill the skill set and the body type, and even the, the the conversation around him and Josh Allen going into their drafts, somewhat similar in terms of the things you'd say. Uh, so I thought that could have been an interesting uh, route, but I do think Staley, they'll still be able to find someone on offense, and hopefully they don't have a revolving door of offensive coordinators uh, that Justin Herbert has to keep working with, uh, but they can still promote with from within there as well. So we'll see what happens um, on that side. But I think Staley, interesting for a Chargers defense that, yeah, has been pretty underwhelming, but a team that, similar to the Rams, has a lot of good defensive backs. Obviously, if Der- Derwin James is healthy, that, that helps a ton. We saw a few years ago when they beat the Ravens in the playoffs, they were basically playing seven DBs. Uh, at a time on defense, I do think they have the skill sets and the, and the kind of guys. I don't think it's an accident that Staley looked at the, the roster construction of the Chargers on that side of the ball and what they might be able to do even in the draft in terms of what he wants to do with his own defensive set. So I, I think that hire makes a lot of sense because, yeah, no matter how great Herbert is, we saw it. <laughs> Herbert was fine, just fine this past year. Uh, they need to figure some things out on special teams and on defense. Um, so I, I think that was a great hire for them as well. Falcons, uh, that, you know, I won't go too much in the Falcons and Lions and those two hires, but I thought maybe they would look at some other candidates. Obviously, Eric Bieniemy still at this point. I know the Texans are going to interview him, but I thought he would have been an interesting fit in Atlanta. Arthur Smith, he still did a fantastic job. I don't want to hold him too much against him for how the season ended for the Titans at that loss to the Ravens, given how the Ravens just made the Bills look and Brian Dable's uh, offense look. Um, but uh, interesting hire and. Uh, still, though, th- those two teams, I, as I've mentioned before, they were, my, my, at the time, the two jobs that I was the least excited about possibly taking. But now it's clearly become the uh, the Texans, as you've probably seen all these reports, that mm. it's be- it's gone from the least desirable job to the most undesirable job was a report from, I believe, Sheff- Adam Schefter yesterday morning on a ESPN countdown. So, yep. man, the Texans, it's it's crazy how things move quickly because last week we talked about the Eagles. We're like, I don't know how good a job this is. And then mm-hmm. now that now all this drama with Houston is, it just continues to blow up. Every every weekend we have a new Sports Illustrated article just tearing apart the inside of this organization. Well, those are the two that are left. And uh, what we know based on, you know, we're recording this Monday afternoon, we know that Eric Bieniemy is uh, supposedly interviewing with the Texans. I don't know if it's, I want to say it's his yeah. second interview or maybe it's his first. I'm not sure, but um, that we know that interview's happening, so uh, that could be a potential. And then I think, as a lot of people have pointed out, you know, are they 
what's what's what are they doing this for? Like, are they feeling like that he's maybe the best candidate to help them keep Deshaun Watson if he is? I mean, certainly, like you got to go all in because you got to try yeah. to figure out how to keep Deshaun Watson, and I, I would think that would make sense. Um, so, you know, if you're the Texans, I mean, I think which we talked about Eric Bieniemy before, and it's like you know the potential. You've got to look around and wonder, like, why is this guy not in these situations? Because you think about what they've been able to do and kind of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. what what he's been able to do offensively and everything. So uh, so if he gets the job there, I think that would probably make Texans fans happy because you would think that that would uh, be something in a very positive development for Deshaun Watson staying there. Uh, so we'll yeah. see if that's the case because it does look like Eric Bieniemy is going to get the Eagles job because uh, all signs for that one seem to be pointing towards Josh McDaniels. Uh, which is another name. Yeah. I mean, when you think about, you know, the two offensive guys around the league that uh, get the most attention, like those are certainly right there near the top of your list for sure. Um, so if Josh McDaniels takes that Eagles job, I'm going to say it right mm-hmm. now. I don't know how I feel about that fit. Um, <laughs> just being honest with you, I don't know about that one. I can't say I would be 100% all in on that. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. Like there's just something about that one that I feel like there's going to be butting heads uh, in terms of we know kind of what we know about the Eagles front office and everything. And I don't know, man, I just I'm not sure about that one. But uh, I guess we'll see. Um, we, we knew he was going to get a head coaching job at some point. Mm-hmm. And, and look, we're not saying he's going to get this one. But um, I don't know. Like, I, for some reason, I just don't feel like maybe that's the best fit. But um, then again, you know, I, I don't know. Like the, the Lions weren't going to hire him. They weren't going to go back to the bell check. You know, they were going to go right back that direction. I don't think he would have been a great fit for the Jets, uh, given the the landscape or the coverage and everything yeah. there. But you know, Philadelphia's not exactly an easy easy place either if you're not winning, as we know. So uh, I, I don't know. That that's a curious one to me, I guess. Yeah, I'm not positive about it either. I mean, if it's it's for me, it's more of like when he when uh, he accepted the Colts job and then turned it down. And for, since then, I've been like, well, okay, he's going to need something at least on that level to leave New England for, right? Because we don't. I mean, at this point, Belichick could be still coaching for another decade. Uh, the, the route he's going. So I know McDaniels, I don't know how they, they initially kept him from going to Indianapolis. I still think that was a mistake for him personally. I think it worked out pretty dang well for the Colts. Uh, you know, it still might have been fought completely fine with McDaniels there, but it's worked out really well with Frank Reich and his staff. And they've kind of taken the infrastructure that at the time really did build up the Eagles to be who they are. Maybe it was the guys, and this is a credit to, again, the, the strength of the staff as Saul is talking about compared to what has happened in Philadelphia since all of those guys left and different guys that Doug Peterson didn't necessarily want to fire were let go and picked up by Indianapolis. Man, such a mess there. I don't know what's going to happen with Doug, but nonetheless for the Eagles, McDaniels, I don't know, like you're saying, it's uh, compared to what he has in Foxborough, I mean – like their offensive line problems are there. It's just I don't see how you look at that job if you're McDaniels and say that's the one I'm going to hop off uh, the Patriots bandwagon to to go for. I just don't know if it's really worth it. But hey, if it, you know maybe he's looking at this now with <laughs> Patriots aren't having the same kind of success as they previously did. Maybe he's worried that he's not going to be the name, the hot name mentioned in all these coaching uh, conversations moving forward. So maybe it is the time for him to take a job. The Texans for enemy, like you're saying, is that legitimate interest? It sounds like it might be, but at the same time, if I'm him and I'm, <laughs> I, I want to talk to Deshaun and be like, look, yeah. if I'm going to come here, are you going to be committed to this? Because if he's not, then what's the point? Like, for, same for enemy. I mean, at this point, uh, he should have a job, probably should have been hired last <laughs> last time around. I'm not sure what's going on this time, that someone's not going to uh, find him. But Houston would have made sense if Deshaun was fine. Uh, so I think that that is what it's going to lead up to. And 
if honestly, if the Texans with everything happening, you know, the stuff that you know, looking at yesterday, Dan Orlovsky tweeting that it's even worse than what the reports are. That uh, it doesn't matter if they fire Zach uh, Easterby. If uh, it, the issue is that Cal McNair can't file, uh, fire Cal McNair, all these things are pretty intense. So it's like the enemy, uh, their only chance might <laughs> to get Deshaun to turn things around might be to, to hire Bienemy and have him be the one that mends this relationship. Does Bienemy want to do that? I don't know. <laughs> but otherwise, man, for the Texans, it, it becomes uh, the, the list of names on the top of my head of guys that would take the job now. I just don't see how like a uh, Dable or Bienemy, if they if they don't think Deshaun's going to stay, why would they leave their situations in Kansas City and Buffalo? It gets it gets a little uh, pretty murky really quickly. Uh, that job, if Deshaun is determined to be out of Houston, as as some of these reports are stating, then like what? Why would you take it? I, I'd rather be an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator for a lot of teams in the NFL compared to the head coach to the Houston Texans without Deshaun. Yeah, they could quickly quickly plummet to being one of the worst teams in the NFL uh, in that scenario if he's not there, depending on you know what they got in return. But I don't know. That's uh, yeah, like you said, if you're going to take that job, you better have a pretty strong guarantee that uh, that he's going to be there because otherwise, and even then, like there's no guarantee. I mean, he's been there. You know, there's no guarantee that this team's going to succeed even with him there, uh, based on yeah. you know all the other things going on around there. So uh, I don't know. It's um, I would much rather see Eric Bieniemy. I'd much rather see him like with the Eagles. Like I feel like that's that's a much better fit, knowing yeah. that you know you're in that scenario. I feel like you have a little bit more. And again, the division like there's a lot of different things that go into mm-hmm. it. Um, I don't know. Even with a superstar like Sean Watson there, with all the frustrations, I don't know. I, I would if I'm the Eagles, I think I'd rather take that chance than uh, maybe go the other routes and vice versa. But then mm-hmm. again, if they were to swap and Josh McDaniels went to the Texans, I think that would be a that would be a recipe for disaster. So um, I don't know. We'll see what happens there. And uh, to cap it off uh, here, Dylan, uh, just uh, as we'll we'll throw out as if the NFL wasn't wild enough. Jeremy Fowler, ESPN. Uh, the Seahawks have spoken to former Jets head coach Adam Gase about their oh, offensive yes. coordinator job. So, of course, the note there is, could you imagine that uh, Adam Gase and Jamal Adams are suddenly back in the same franchise? Uh, I can only imagine the uh, the fun that would be. So, uh, come on. My goodness. Like, uh, I don't know about this either. Like, come on. I, I, I get it. Like, Adam Gase has been terrible as a head coach, but – Oof, I don't know about that one either for the Seahawks, but they they want to run the ball. So just find someone who says, you know what, we're <laughs> we're going to run the ball 450 times a game, and you're probably going to get hired. So hey, I mean, if he, I'll give him a chance here. I mean, Gase before his head coaching days, which have uh, in, whether it be in Miami or New York, have not panned out too well. He's had some pretty good time as an assistant, still well respected as an assistant. So. Maybe he's just not the CEO type. Maybe he just needs to be kind of part of the part of the machine. And yeah. Uh, so I, I I feel like there might be other people you could you could go for. But hey, if, if they believe in him, if they believe in his philosophy, there's still some things schematically that I'd be concerned with. But maybe with a fresh uh, taste and where he's not the the lead guy though, maybe you'll have a, a chance at it. So. I'm not – it's funny <laughs> when I first see it, but the more I think about it, it's not something that's incredibly shocking. We've seen guys that are terrible as head coaches uh, or that have things really fall apart to end up be- becoming great coordinators. You think of all the, the offense coordinators that have filed through Alabama. Obviously, a lot of people are going to be really good under Nick Saban, but, you know, Bill O'Brien obviously there now. But all these different 
uh, guys, Sarkeesian now going to Texas. Um, yeah. Think about Kiffin and just uh, some names that at the time they're taking these big name jobs, they don't have the same firepower, but then they're able to respond. So maybe that'll be the case for Gase. Uh, I feel like maybe we see it a little more from defensive head uh, head coaches that end up going back to being defensive coordinators and being pretty strong. Uh, but it, it can go the other way too. So uh, <laughs> we'll see. It's still funny though after what had the last uh, couple of years in New York uh, entailed. Yeah, I mean Anthony Lynn, Doug Peterson, other names that have been thrown out potentially in that spot. So uh, mm-hmm. I think this is one where you know NFL coaches are, are very well connected. So um, I don't think the Seahawks have any shortage of options for their uh, offensive coordinator position. So uh, there you go. There's a look at all the action from the divisional round uh, and uh, everything going on in the coaching carousel. And as we mentioned, we'll get into uh, the two big games uh, for to decide the Super Bowl matchup uh, or next or excuse me later in the week uh, when we get to our mm-hmm. next episode of the podcast. So you can check that out. Uh, there, but to Dylan, until then, uh, we got a lot of stuff going on over clutch points, uh, keeping up with everything, getting ready for these two games, uh, AFC Championship, NFC Championship, as well as all the other uh, craziness happening in the NBA. Yeah, you can follow all of our coverage of the fallout from this weekend, the coaching carousel, the Deshaun Watson drama. It seems like every day we're writing more content about Deshaun. You can find that all at clutchpoints.com and in the Clutch Points app in the NFL section on either side. You can follow the, the, the championship games coming up in the Clutch Points app and our streams there. Also, all the NBA games, games happening right now on Martin Luther King Day. So, yeah, yeah by the time you listen to this, it will be the next morning. But nonetheless, <laughs> you can follow all, all NBA, NFL, and MLB games in the Clutch Points app. Um, and go to the website and yeah excited to start uh, prepping tomorrow probably to to talk about these two games because yeah really like I said at the beginning of the podcast I think you know even if the Bills and Chiefs didn't have the prettiest wins I think these at this time are the four teams that probably if you thought about it are the ones that should be here and the quarterback matchups couldn't be more fun yep going to be uh, a lot of excitement and potentially a lot of points on the board. We'll see uh, with these uh, two games. Check everything out at Clutch Points. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Any podcast app you use, you can find us there. And uh, thanks as always to the fine folks Blue Wire for all that they do. And uh, thank you as always for listening. And we'll talk to you guys next time here on the Established the Past Podcast. <laughs>